3: So through a a series of past episodes, we've talked about our experiences with slumber parties. We also talked about a slasher movie around slumber parties, um, kind of the sexualization around slumber parties. But what I wanted to bring up for this classic episode on the history of slumber parties is I gifted you with a bunch of board games. You sure did. That we talked about on our, like, girl board games episode as we called it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we were having kind of a you know hopefully safe get together with friends a going away party for somebody and we were playing games and we got these games ended up coming out yes yes and people were reading the descriptions of boyfriends you could obtain in these games or uh items that you were trying to seek out in these games. And through all of this, I realized that I did a terrible thing and gave you a gift that required other gifts because <laughs> there was a tape player yeah, there was a cassette tape. <laughs> that <we> and I'm <laughs> like, oh, I
2: definitely don't have a cassette tape player. I don't know if I've had one. Actually, no, I think I had one up until 2004 because my hmm. CD player was a CD cassette player. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. I remember those. Well,
3: uh, I, I'm looking to fix this, Samantha, because I really, really, hearing everybody talk about it, especially, like, the dudes in the group, but also the women. I gotta play these games.
2: <laughs> right. So <laughs> I, wanna I watch will men say, Eve was a part of this group, you know, Eve, from mm-hmm. Female First. Uh, and she, her, actually, like, Dialoguing and giving us a commentary on all the games was also a delight, as well as yes. having people like my nemesis Ben Bolin mm-hmm. or my partner going through these games, trying to figure out what they were themselves, was quite a delight. It
3: was. It was really fun. We didn't even play the games, but no, just, like, just talking about it. them.
2: <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> yes, and these are kind of a big part. I feel like to my slumber party experience, or are, are hanging out with a group of girls, especially, experience. And I really, I want to play that mall madness game. I got to know what that's no, about. you need to. Yeah. So we're actually hoping to do like maybe a mini series where we play these games and we we invite other people to play with us, which yes. I think will be really fun. We
2: want to have some of our male counterparts yes. come and play and because they missed out. I feel oh. like many of them missed out on mm-hmm. their childhood, not being allowed uh, by society to enjoy these games.
3: Mm-hmm. These games where you've got to find a boyfriend and you got to spend your credit card. <laughs> oh, Obviously. I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, but in the meantime, please enjoy this classic episode on slumber parties.
2: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
4: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. Or should I have said, welcome to our slumber party. Oh, God. Actually, no. Well, yeah, because we're awake.
0: (laughs) We are in sleeping bags, but we're not sleeping.
4: I'm wearing a high-necked nightgown, (laughs) and there's popcorn a-poppin'. And to kick things off, I have a slumber party story. Please, hit me. Well, it has to do with losing a tooth. I have there one of my front teeth, the one right next to the second one over. <laughs> it really makes no sense. <laughs> I'm going to post a picture of myself <laughs> with a giant arrow pointing to the tooth in question. Uh, it's actually a fake tooth. No way. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Mm. Kristen's got a fake tooth because I was at a slumber party when I was probably... 12 11 or 12 years old Mm -hmm. and we were all in the living room and my sleeping bag was next to the fireplace there was some rough housing going on because it was late at night and we'd probably had too many marshmallows and someone knocked over the fire poker Uh, and it landed on uh, (laughs) it landed on my face and it chipped off half my tooth. And it really didn't... I I don't remember it hurting all that badly. I remember like, laughing uncontrollably because of all this silliness going on, seeing in slow motion a (laughs) fire poker coming toward my face. And then someone being like, are you okay? And being like, yeah, I'm totally... Oh my God, my (laughs) tooth's gone.
0: So, yeah. And that ends our podcast on slumber parties. Yeah.
4: So anyone out there listening who might have a slumber party coming up for whatever reason, <laughs> steer clear of the fireplace or any big blunt objects that could knock a child in the face. Yeah. When I, when people, when I tell people about my tooth, I t- have to tell the whole story because if I say it got knocked out with a fire poker,
0: <laughs> it doesn't go over quite as well. And then I hit him back with a shovel. Uh, Um, yeah, I, I, I myself was not a very good sleeper over er. um, slumber parties were better for me because I kind of knew that I had to suck it up and, and just, even if I didn't sleep all night, I just had to lie there and not be the kid that went home. Sleepovers were a lot more difficult for me. I think maybe I had, oh, I don't know, like a handful of successful ones out of the many that I went to because as, as I am now, I was a little kind of, Anxiety ridden sleeper. I, I I needed the comfort of my own bed, my own space. I had to have the fan running. I didn't like being in different environments that were unfamiliar and smelled weird. God, some people's houses smell weird. And so I would often end up calling my mother to come get me at like 10 or 11 at night. Oh, you were one of those kids. I was.
4: Uh, well, you're distinguishing between... Sleepover versus slumber party. How would you?
0: Well, slumber party, I think of as like birthday party or special event where there's like, you know, a handful of girls, 10 girls, however many. Um, sleepover, I think of just as like your friend is inviting you to come over on a Saturday, a Friday night or a Saturday night and then you go home in the morning. Mm -hmm. But I, I usually went home at night.
4: Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was because of. The homeschooling aspect, but sleepovers and slumber parties, like I lived (laughs) for them. If I could have been a professional sleepoverer, (laughs) I would have done it because I loved uh, one thing that I really enjoyed about sleeping over at kids' houses uh, was the next morning, the cereal. Because my mom always bought super healthy cereals, so we had it was a staple of corn flakes, raisin bran, and puffed wheat at Mm -hmm. my house. Mm. But you go over to other kids' houses, they got those corn pops, Lucky Charms. That's what Fruit Loops. Are you kidding
0: me? Those were the only times that I would have cereal seconds. (laughs) And then you drink the multicolored milk.
4: Yes, and you're like, God, this rules.
0: Well, so (laughs) we we do have a point there is more to this podcast than just us telling stories, although I don't think there should be. Well, I mean, we're making the point that sleepovers are a pretty, they're pretty big
4: milestones in yeah. childhood socialization, at least in the U.S. and I would say yeah. in Canada as well. It's a very uh, USA centric kind
0: of phenomenon that I didn't realize. I didn't realize that either. Um, but yeah, it is definitely an essential part of childhood. And this is according to uh, pediatrician Perry Class, who was quoted in the New York Times back in February twenty eleven, uh, who said that it's definitely essential for both boys and girls. And Dr. Class quotes Paula Fass, who is a history professor at UC Berkeley, who said that sleepovers are a phenomenon of the suburbs and took off in the fifties and sixties, and by the eighties they had become a right. Not a privilege.
4: Well, yeah. And then with the, uh, the eighties, it also became an, well, even going back to the fifties and sixties, it was, slumber parties were often a theme in like teeny, teeny bop movies.
0: Yeah. Sandra D. hmm. Pillow fights. Oh, yeah. Whatnot. But of course,
4: sleepovers, if you are a parent, are not necessarily just uh, the prospect of gorging on pizza and pillow fights. There are also issues that come up like uh, separation anxiety, the whole thing, you know, that you were talking about, Caroline, of sleeping in a strange place, playing by another family's rules, bullying, bedwetting. Um, this can be maybe <laughs> there might be a lot of fear in it for more for the parent than for the child of sleeping in an unknown place for the first time.
0: Yeah. And you should probably if your child is one who might have anxiety issues or sleep issues or anything, you probably should warn the hosting parents because, you know, you don't want your kid to go wake the parents up in the middle of the night or or have a big to do like, oh, I don't know. When the child has to call her mommy to come get her. Um, And they say in this New York Times article that especially you should warn the parents, especially if your kid has night terrors or sleepwalks, because these things are more likely to happen in strange environments or when the kid is sleep deprived. So, you know, night terrors, that could be terrifying for the hosting parents and the children in the room as well. Do you speak from experience? No. But my friend, my friend, a couple of friends actually have night terrors. Still. And it is terrifying. Oh,
4: yeah, I can, I can imagine. We should do an episode on night terrors.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position So visit Snagajob.com or text SNAG to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
3: This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. Kim Crawford does too. That's why they're inviting you to experience Golden Hour, your chance to reclaim your time and laugh with your favorite people, play your favorite song on repeat, gaze outside your window and daydream about your wildest dreams, or celebrate your victories.
2: No matter the moment, you can savor it all with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. As the number one-ranked Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S., Kim Crawford has classic aromas of lifted citrus, tropical fruit, and crushed herbs to help you stay in a golden hour state of mind. To start planning your trip, visit TNVacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
4: Uh, now, while it would be so much fun for us to continue on with the podcast and just talk, share sleepover and <laughs> slumber party stories, because there are so many, yeah. Uh, let's actually be more practical about this and talk about from a parental perspective of how to tackle a sleepover. The Chicago Tribune actually published an entire guide to sleepovers because they can be, especially if the kids are a little bit younger, if they're still in that age range, um, maybe eight, nine, ten, when sleepovers might be a new thing. If you're a parent and you're hosting a sleepover, it's actually a decent amount of work. And the first question, obviously, you've got to ask is, is your child ready to play host?
0: Yeah. Oh, Well, to play host or to go away yes. to someone's smelly house, because you might know that your child is not emotionally or anxiety-wise ready to go to somebody else's house and sleep in a sleeping bag on the floor next to the fire poker. Um, But your child might be adamant, you know, like, no, I'm ready. I want to go play with the other kids. Um, A lot of recommendations online have to do with developing fun-sounding alternatives. Like, why don't you go to your cousin Jimmy's house instead? It's more of a low-pressure environment.
4: Yeah, it's often recommended testing out the sleeping away from home in a family environment. Going over to grandma and grandpa's house, going over to a cousin or having a cousin over. So it's a little bit of a safer environment. And the age that is often cited is eight to nine years old Um, and then the question is too of how many guests do you have at a sleepover because I mean I remember going to the big ones and they could get massively out of hand because you always have a couple of troublemakers and then it just the the trouble just spreads and
0: then like just like in uh, Lord of the Flies Mm -hmm. I mean you start to get like a leader, and then group splinter. It's true. Next thing you know, you're like fighting with sticks on a beach. It's crazy. And next thing you know, you lose a tooth. (laughs) That's (laughs) what what happens. You lose a tooth, yeah. The Chicago Tribune and The Guardian both have some recommendations. And I had never really... I guess I never knew this. I never really thought about how many children you should have. Just not the whole class, I guess. But Chicago Tribune recommends that the younger the kid, the smaller the group. That makes sense. It's less overwhelming. The Guardian, on the other hand, gets a little more specific and says that for a slumber party, you want to invite the same number of guests as your child's age, whereas for a sleepover, the number is half that. I've never heard of that. I... I don't, I don't know what to tell you.
4: I say, you know, invite what seems manageable. Yeah. Um, and also don't invite kids that you don't know well. You know, you don't have to invite everybody to the sleepover. Because, again, with these kinds of environments, you, uh, a child has to get along with the, the family rules in place. Um I remember that was that was one of the toughest negotiations of sleepovers and slumber parties was having to figure out the family dynamics. Yeah, like you
0: can't go in the room with the white sofa.
4: Yeah. Or or if you have free reign to do anything. You know, if there was uh if I went over to a friend's house who had uh fewer parental restrictions than my home might have had, it would take me a little while to be like, Oh, oh I can do this. I can eat all this cereal. <laughs> Excellent.
0: They'll give me all the cereal I want. Um, they do recommend uh, fighting off boredom because, I don't know, a gang of bored children sounds terrifying to me. So you have to decide, do you want planned events and group activities or do you just want to tell them that they have to entertain themselves? Are you just going to, like, lock them in the playroom and just hope for the best? I don't know. That all sounds scary to me. Uh, there's also uh,
4: ideas about being careful to avoid hurt feelings because, yeah, that it can happen a lot of times when you take a group of kids, you get them kind of tired and, and also sped up on sugar, that someone's going to start crying. Mm-hmm. Um, and you set a rule at the beginning not to exclude anybody. Also, for older kids... No cellular telephones
0: yeah because then you might text people about other people and there could be texting behind backs and whatnot. Yeah, and that's so weird that was certainly not um, a rule when yeah well when we, were coming we out. did we did have phone issues at slumber parties or sleepovers that I had like you know where you do the thing where it's the three-way call and the other person doesn't know the other person's listening. Oh yeah, Th- those are the mean games. You yeah. played the mean games. No, I was just. Well, it was never. It was never calling somebody and finding out what somebody thought. It was usually like a boy, like, "Oh, hey Nathan, you know, so and so has a crush on you. What do you think?" Yeah. He's like, "Oh, she's okay."
3: Yeah, she's hot.
0: And you laugh and then and
4: giggling hang up. and hang up. Yeah, or the yeah, the no, the no crank call policy. Uh But what about the issue of speaking of calling? The Boys, if mm-hmm. you are at a a girls' slumber party, what about the issue of co-ed sleepovers? Because this is something that has come up. It was covered recently in the New York Times, and there have also been uh, other articles and considerations about co-ed sleepovers because especially for the um you know, kids in their early teen years, they want to be able to have boys and girls stay the night together, to which,
0: most parents would probably be like, ha, 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 no, no. <laughs> or, no, no, definitely not. Uh, I actually went to a I, I wouldn't call it a slumber party. It was like the safe house because I think it was after homecoming and prom my senior year of high school. This family who had a farm in Marietta invited all of the kids back because it was like they kind of had the the wink hush hush attitude of like well you're probably going to sneak alcohol and we'd rather you all be in the same place roaming free on a farm than trying to drive somewhere well that's so but that's different than like actually hosting a sleepover yeah all that yeah there was there was co-ed sleeping that's for sure um so anyway moving on but, As you can- <laughs> but that's the whole but that's the whole fear with
4: these co ad sleepovers, is yeah. that naturally at some point something's gonna happen. Are you a terrible parent if you if you are down with doing this?
0: Well, I guess it depends on what country you're in, frankly, because uh, Amy Chalet, who's a sociology professor at UMass Amherst, did a study of teen sex and family life in the U.S. and the Netherlands. And surprise, surprise, there is uh, there's a lot of differences. Um, she found that here teens are helpless victims beset by raging hormones. That's our perception of our teens. We have to keep them safe from themselves. In the Netherlands, parents interviewed regard teens more as capable of falling in love and of reasonably assessing their own readiness for sex. I, I happen to think it kind of fall somewhere in between, maybe. But she she said in talking to all these parents in the Netherlands that normalizing ideas about teenage sex actually allows parents to exert more control because it kind of opens the way for dialogue.
4: Well, yeah, and this is more in the context of allowing, like, a... A co-ed sleepover in terms of one, like
0: a couple. Like a, like my definition of a sleepover versus a slumber party. Yeah, like
4: an adult an adult sleepover, rather than like having a group of friends, which uh, education.com talked to psychologist and parenting author Linda Sona about this. And because uh, she was saying that more parents are are having to deal with the, these requests for co-ed slumber parties. And um, she says that... Many teens have deep platonic friendships with members of the opposite sex and honestly might just want to hang out, but at some point, but they often involve sexual activity, whether planned or not. But if you are a parent and you decide that that is okay, you obviously need to talk to the parents of the other kids to make sure that they know what's going on. Be clear about rules, provide separate sleeping areas and set a party perimeter. Essentially, like once you are in the house, you're not going to leave the house. Personally, that sounds like a giant headache <laughs> trying to facilitate a, uh, a completely PG teenage co-ed sleepover, but it can be done. I'm sure. But maybe you know life would be just easier for parents with this whole sleepover thing, if it wasn't such an ingrained part of American culture, because uh, I I did not know that it was so U.S. specific.
0: I didn't either. I just figured it was a rite of passage for all children. The world over? <laughs> yes. Uh, global slumber parties. <laughs> that sounds really fun. That's something that should happen on the Internet. The internets. um Yeah. Carmen Yuri uh, in the New Jersey Star Ledger wrote a column about her attitude about sleepovers, both when she was a child and now when she's a mom, two daughters. Because a lot of people argue that it is a rite of passage. It's very common. No big deal. It can be a bonding tool for kids and their friends. She disagrees. She was not allowed to sleep over at friends' houses as a child and has instituted the same rule for her daughter. And her reasoning, I find it a little hard to get behind other than there are such cultural differences. She said that because she perceived these slumber parties to be so cool and so normal and wanted to do them, um, her Cuban mother was like, no, I'm not letting you do this. Why would I let you go sleep away at some stranger's house? And so she ends up bullying her mom into letting her go on the slumber party and says she felt scarred for the rest of her life that she made her mom cry. Uh, that, That just sounds, wow. Yeah, well, so all because of that, because of her experience... She's not going to let her kids do it. She says, the way I see it, my kids may miss out on a little fun at sleepovers, but they won't be permanently scarred. In the future, like me, they may sympathize with their mother.
4: Well, we should point out that uh, that her mom, her Cuban mom, did allow her to have friends sleep over at her house. It just wasn't, like, culturally, it it did not make sense that she would need to sleep somewhere else. Yeah. It just seemed very foreign to them. And there were um some other like parenting blogs that I ran across as well talking about um in some Muslim families sleepovers are a no-go. And also Amy Chua, who wrote the battle hymn of the tiger mother, that got so much attention a couple of years ago. Um, one of the things that she talks about and all the strict rules that she imposes on her two daughters was that she refused to let them ever participate in sleepovers. Never ever. Um, And uh, Gil Sutherland in The Guardian, and she grumbles that the slumber party has its origin in, quote, that other great American tradition, the summer camp. (laughs) And she goes on and on talking about, like, all these things that you now have to do because kids think it's cool to have these weird slumber parties. And so you have to you know, buy pizza and make a mess and deal with, what were they called, wakeovers? Essentially, like, kids never get enough sleep. Yeah. If they have a sleepover, go to a slumber party. Yeah. So you need to be prepared as a parent to deal with your junk food, bloated, sleep-deprived <laughs> child, they say, that who will probably be grumpy
0: from a wakeover. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty grumpy when I don't get sleep. She also recommended food in boxes. Like, that's a cool thing for kids. I, yeah, I would, I still like
4: food in boxes. <laughs>
0: And sleeping bags boxed food. Um, I do think we would be remiss not to mention a little bit of slumber party pop culture history, something that Kristen and I found that is amazing in the horrific sense of the word. in 1965, Mattel released Slumber Party Barbie. Now, what what could be wrong with Slumber Party Barbie? She's so cute. She's got slippers, right? That's great. Yeah, well, maybe it's because she comes with a
4: scale that reads 110 pounds, and a book titled "How to Lose Weight." Can you tell me the sole contents of the Barbie book "How to Lose Weight"? Don't eat. Which defeats the entire purpose <laughs> of going to a slumber party. I know, boxed foods. Yeah, what are you going to do with all that food. boxed foods? Uh, yeah, speaking of Barbie, uh, there was some analysis on... Oh, kind of how Barbie intersected with American culture. And they talk about how uh, it symbolized the slumber party popularity um, when not only did they release that 1965 slumber party Barbie, but also in the original fashion booklet from 1958, uh, it featured Barbie dressed up in cute nightwear. Mm -hmm. So even back in uh, the late 50s, slumber parties, all the rage. All the rage. All the kids are doing it. Yeah, just
0: hopefully people in the 50s and 60s ate though. (laughs)
4: <laughs> that's true yes uh, but then also with games the things we haven't been able to talk about with sleepovers we could make this like an eight part series really <laughs> because there are things like Ouija board uh, the whole light as a feather stiff as a board truth or dare
0: I was always I'm still a truth or dare weenie because I'm like well I don't want to really tell you the truth about something, but I also don't want to go, like, run naked through the sprinkler in the backyard at night at the neighbor's house. You know, like, I was, I was kind of a pansy about that.
4: Yeah, that was when I saw my first mooning was during a slumber party truth or dare. I was like,
0: wow, that's your, that's a butt. That's your
4: bottom. Uh, and then, of course, there are the pranks. Your friends fall asleep. You don't want to be the first one to sleep because you might end up with shaving cream on your face or you might attempt to get your friends to pee themselves by putting <laughs> your hands in warm water. And then, yeah, those like whole bullying games where uh, I, fr- I don't know that there's a name for it, but it's where you have like one friend hide under the bed. Mm-hmm. So they the other person thinks that she's gone. And then you're like, what do you think about Caroline? <laughs> <laughs> and then she gives a glowing report. Yeah. <laughs> And and you stick out two thumbs way up from out from (laughs) under the bed, um. Yeah. Also, uh. So, girlhood in America, because I do feel like slumber parties, especially, are um a little more associated with girlhood than boyhood. Although I I know boys have slumber parties and and all of that. But according to the book Girlhood in America, they say the research shows that even such cultural practices as slumber parties can be transformative. At least for a night, because it is the first time that you are completely away from uh parental authority. You don't know teachers are around. Mm-hmm. It's just you and your peers all night with a sugar rush. And yeah, and you have to like work out all these kind of like negotiations of being in a new space. Yeah, And you and have to gossip. watch
0: uh, what's that movie? Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Yep. Yep. Yep
2: To start planning your trip, visit TNVacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
0: Or if you're like me, you would go over to your friend's house and she would just pull out one of her mom's uh, tapes, video cassettes from the shelf, and it would be Silence of the Lambs. God, is it any wonder <laughs> that I hated slumber parties? Man. Yeah,
4: I, I do feel like there is a lot of a lot of boundary testing that yeah. ends up happening At slumber parties, because all of a sudden, you're all there together, and you can get into cahoots, and hijinks can ensue. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's what we got for sleepovers and slumber parties. Essentially, a lot of fun reminiscing. Yeah. Now we want to hear your slumber party stories. Parents out there, is the slumber party something that you fear because, you know, maybe your kid's not ready? What What are the... Uh, is it weird sending your child off for the first time to a sleepover or hosting a sleepover? Yeah, how do you
0: stay sane when you have like ten or fifteen or twenty kids in your house? Probably wine,
4: lots of it. I would assume. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, folks out there, any um, slumber party stories? Caroline and I have shared ours. We would like to hear yours, and you can send them to us at momstuff at discovery dot com. And we got a couple letters here to share for you as well. This one comes from Katie and she wrote in a little while ago about our episode about man flu and whether or not man flu is real. And for those who have not listened to the episode on man flu, uh, man flu is this notion that when men get colds, they totally uh, dramatize their symptoms and make a big to-do about it. Whereas women are super tough when we get sick. So, Katie writes, I do believe that there is probably a connection between masculinity and the man flu, but I did not think it has anything to do with the male sex. I'm really only speaking from personal experience, but I have noticed a definite pattern. All of the women I've dated have been very masculine in some way. Two have been very butch in appearance, but very gender neutral in behavior. They both want to have children someday, and they would like to carry a child if if possible. One was very feminine in appearance, but very typically masculine in personality. She was a lawyer who is very focused on career and monetary goals and cringes at the thought of babies. All three would describe themselves as more masculine than feminine. All three suffer from horrendous man flus. <laughs> Once a year, for many years, I would get very bad bronchitis, and every time, I would keep chugging along stubbornly until I ended up at the doctor with a 104-degree fever, hallucinating from lack of oxygen to my brain. These three women would get the sniffles and this apparently signaled Armageddon. I try to respect that it truly does feel awful for them, but the whining gets very old. So there's a fun observation from Katie.
0: All right, this is an interesting email from Israel about our smell podcast. He says, as a blind guy, I've always been asked all kinds of questions. Is your hearing any better? Can you feel things better than most people? Is your sense of smell like that of a shark? And that's a reference I don't get. Do sharks smell? Yeah, man. Sharks can smell blood from a mile away. Okay. All right, then. Okay. Glad that was confirmed for me. I never... Okay. Anyway... Yeah, no kidding, someone actually asked me that, the shark thing. And of course, since I have been gifted with an amazing sense of humor, I responded, Yes, absolutely, I could, I could smell you coming a mile away. Immediately, this person took off running, came back, and was literally bathed in perfume. I found this absolutely hysterical sense, of course, I was exaggerating with my mile away comment. Having said that, I do tend to be more sensitive to smells, and although I don't pick them up a mile away, I do tend to notice things that most other people would just ignore. Listening to your podcast on smells just made me wonder if, in fact, there is any science linked to lack of sight and how strong my senses may or may not be. I've always dismissed this and simply attributed it to the fact that since I can't see, my brain just tends to pay more attention to the senses that do work. And then he adds, and just in case you might be wondering, no, I don't smell. I would know. So thank you, Israel. And now I know that sharks have a good sense of smell.
4: And Caroline, I apologize if that came across in my tone as shark shaming you. <laughs> did not mean to. But also, uh, there was one bit in this letter, the man food letter from Katie, that was addressed to you. Really? That I didn't get to. Okay. So, uh, Caroline, here you go. Okay. She says, Caroline, in my house... We share our beer with one of the cats. I think this comes from <laughs> uh, something...
0: There was an episode we were talking about uh, getting saliva from pets. Uh, I'm not yeah, sure. So, something about you could get sick and I was really grossed out about maybe letting your pets lick you. Or yeah. It was something, something. Some, some aversion to pets. I mean, I am grossed out about letting pets lick you. But well,
4: well, listen to this. In Katie's house, she says, we share a beer with one of the cats. The way I see it, their germs are everywhere, whether I knew it or not. I'm sure I eat much worse by accident every day. And it's just so much fun to watch the cat drink beer. <laughs> Before you get worried, she doesn't get much, and every vet we have ever told about it says something along the lines of, Cool, my cat isn't nearly that awesome. (laughs) So, double thanks to Katie for. I'm I'm learning all sorts of things today. For that, I now am going to go look up videos of cats drinking beer responsibly. So in the meantime, if you've got letters to send our way, momstuff@discovery.com is our email address. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And we'd love for you to head over to our blog as well on Tumblr. It's stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And if you'd like to get a little smarter during the week, you can head over to our website. It's howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines.